Uh, let's open up the word to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Because he is our strength. But uh, the title of this talk is Our Doctrine. Galatians chapter 3. Go through some, some scriptures that are fundamental to our understanding. And it's our doctrine. Um, so start here in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22. Um, yes, we'll just go straight into reading it. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22. And it says, But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterward be revealed. Wherefore the law is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So this here I chose to start off with Put things into perspective. You know, uh, when this was written, the only scripture, it refers to scripture there in uh, verse 22, the scripture hath concluded all under sin. That was basically the Old Testament. The scripture, the, the God-inspired word that people were carrying around with us and we continue to carry around. Um, and, and it says as well, interestingly, that uh, that Old Testament, that old law is a schoolmaster. Uh, and what's a schoolmaster do? It teaches and uh, imparts understanding and guidance and onto uh, its pupils. Uh, and it says that while people were living under the law, as it says here, kept under the law, uh, it says in verse 23, they were shut up unto the faith which should afterward be revealed. It's like when people were living under the law, uh, which was God-inspired, it was God's word, that's why it's still part of the Bible uh, that we have, they were kind of uh, um, confined in that um, they weren't, couldn't really be a people of true faith, okay, which should afterward be revealed. And it explains and says, look, now that schoolmaster's gone after Christ, uh, that we are now not under a schoolmaster, we're actually children of the living God, where his dear children... Uh, by faith in Christ Jesus, because it says there in 27, we've been baptised into Christ and we've put on Christ, that spirit. Um, and verse 28 is wonderful. I, I referred to this similar sort of thing a fortnight ago, is as human beings, we love to focus on the differences and it's always been the case. I mean, even in Old Testament times, like the difference was, you know, Jew, you have Jew and non-Jew and like the Gentiles and the Jews couldn't associate with Gentiles. And there was a reason, that was a shadow of things to come, which we understand. But it's still always the case with people. We love to focus on the differences, you know, and, uh, and it says here, you know, between Jew and non-Jew, uh, bond or free, male or female, you know, different races, you know, we love to choose these differences, uh, between sexes, and I was ref reflecting on it, like, that um, guarantee today, and it's not nothing to be ashamed of, but it's just the way we are, guaranteed there'll be something that'll come up where people will say, oh, women are like this and men are like that. Guaranteed. It's the way we are. We're wired. And we, we try to find an explanation as to why uh, maybe some races are successful in some things and some aren't, which isn't really the case, but it's the perception. Like, we just love not love, we have a tendency to, uh, to look at the differences. But what the beautiful thing is, in the kingdom of God, we're all one in Christ, right? And so God is trying to encourage us here to look at the similarities. We've all got the spirit. This is our doctrine, right? And so it does flow on from a fortnight ago when I was talking about our mission. But uh, our doctrine is we're all one 
through Christ Jesus. And if we are Christ's, then we are heirs of Abraham, which of course is Old Testament. He was a man of faith. Okay? And so it's a wonderful promise we have, and it puts things into perspective of why the law was important. It was a schoolmaster, but now, through the Spirit, we are children, and we're all unified together with the same goal. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6. So that's Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. But because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, okay? Like we read back in Galatians that the scripture says that all are under sin, which is uh, darkness because you're away from God. And this is what it says here. Like, let no man deceive you with vain words. The truth is that we were in darkness once. Once upon a time, that was past. It's not present tense, but we put things into perspective here. That now, it says here clearly, we are uh, light, in the Lord, okay? A fundamental part of our doctrine is understanding that uh, we are light and we walk, We should walk as children of light, okay? With that understanding that we are the light of the world and that we should, there's a responsibility to walk as children of light, okay? Because we've left this world of as it says here, darkness, you know, these are very strong terms that are taken well out of context by uh, religions today. But uh, we were children of disobedience, but now we are in the light. We have the light. We are the light of the world. And, uh, and there's a responsibility to walk as children of light, to continue walking that pathway. So we'll go back to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. This is John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 3, and uh, such an important chapter here where um, it explains uh, what John was sent for and, uh, and also um, gives a heads up to all that heard him what Jesus was coming for. So uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's coming soon. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the way I skip down, voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptised of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. So uh, John the Baptist was preaching about the coming kingdom and telling people to repent and be baptised, and uh, he was preparing the way, it says he uh, prepares the way of the Lord and make his path straight. It's like uh, John had, had this phenomenal responsibility where he was there to prepare the way of the coming Lord and to make his path straight. It's like, um, okay, uh, this is where the Lord must come and then go and follow the path to preach the kingdom of God and then to lay down his life. John's responsibility here was phenomenal, phenomenal. And, and when you think of his role in um, preparing the way of the Lord, referring to Jesus Christ and making Jesus Christ's path straight, and then we reflect on um, another scripture that says that um, there, there's no one greater than John the Baptist, yet he's the least in the kingdom of God. 
and uh, and you look at what work he did and the importance of his work to uh, uh, the kingdom of God and to Jesus Christ himself. But we go on to verse 11 and it says, he explains here beautifully and, uh, and it's a wonderful uh, explanation. Verse 11, I indeed baptise you with water unto repentance. Right, so that's what John the Baptist was doing. But he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptise with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Okay, preparing the paths, preparing the way of the Lord and making his paths straight. Verse 13, then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptised of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptised of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfil all righteousness. Then he suffered him. It's like John the Baptist realised, yes, this needs to happen so that righteousness can be fulfilled. Verse 16, And Jesus, when he was baptised, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. An amazing spectacle. Uh, phenomenal. And so it was interesting, and John <laughs> was quite right in a way, that it was Jesus Christ that should have baptised him, not John the Baptist baptising the Son of the living God. But it was important to fulfil righteousness, and it was only after baptism that it was when God proclaimed from heaven that uh, this is my son in whom I'm well, well pleased, right? The path has been prepared and now I want you to do your job, okay? Jesus Christ. And so we go to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. So this is Jesus speaking himself, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. Okay, now we read that first scripture we read, you know, about how the law is a schoolmaster and Jesus is saying, look, his aim here is not to destroy the law or the prophets. Okay, make that very clear. It's God's word. And it goes on, I am not come to destroy but to fulfil. And that's an important part of our doctrine as well, is Jesus Christ came to fulfil the law. Verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what it says there, this, this commission also that he's passing on to others to, uh, to teach others about uh, the doctrines and uh, it says there, whosoever shall do and teach them. You know, our doctrine, we've got to know what our doctrine is because so, Jesus wants us to do them and teach them. It's an important commission and, uh, and it's wonderful to know that when we understand what it means when Jesus fulfilled the law, okay? What Jesus did, his sacrifice, allowing the Holy Spirit to be poured out and, and to dwell within people, fulfilled the law. It didn't break it, it fulfilled it. So now we no longer have access to the Father through a schoolmaster. We have access to the Father because he's our Father and we are his children because of this wonderful fulfilling of the law. Um, John chapter 3. And what I'm doing uh, this morning, I had to check if it was still morning, um, going through some scriptures that we should know very well, but going into them a bit more. Um, so there's a few scriptures further on, and so I'll be reading a bit more around some of these uh, passages. John chapter 3 and verse 1. John chapter 3 and verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. 
For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe, if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. And he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, and his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And the reason I carried on was because all of that passage was part of a dialogue with Nicodemus. Uh, That uh, initial few verses of chapter 3, which we must know well, that you must be born again. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again of water and the Spirit. God's a spirit. You must worship him in the spirit. And, uh, and then Jesus goes on and to Nicodemus explains this other, th- other things. You know that it was through love that God sent his own son. He so desired that relationship so that people would not perish. You know that uh, God didn't, sorry, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Yes, he came to judge. But the purpose was that all people would turn to him. You know, that they are not condemned. And it says, like, you know, but people being people, you know, we know we do things that aren't good. And so we want to hide in the darkness, as it says here. But those that want to follow the light, you know, God sees the good things that we do. He sees that the the efforts we put into trying to uh, follow the kingdom of God and doing his ways, you know, that... uh, that the, the, our deeds are made manifest and they are wrought of God. They've been blessed of God. They're part of God's commandments. And so uh, Jesus says all these things to Nicodemus and he actually scolds him at verse 12 and says, look, I've told you earthly things. I've given you an example. I've said, you know, you and understand, you're a person, that when a child is born, you know, they, they live as a person. And he's, he's using a... a, a an earthly example that someone must be born again of the spirit and that's the same thing that happens, that life, you know, when that baby is born and breathes in that first breath and they're alive, they're an individual. They weren't an individual before that. Uh, They're an individual now. And it's like he's saying, Nicodemus, look, don't you get it? You know, like if you, you need to be born again of the spirit, God's a spirit. The kingdom of God is spiritual. In the same way, you will then receive the Holy Spirit and you'll become an individual as part of the uh, kingdom of God, no longer attached to this world. 
uh, but free. And, uh, and it's such an important thing in our doctrine to understand that, yes, John 3.16 is so famous, so famously read around the world. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's wonderful and glorious. It's in the Bible. You know, it's true. You know, that uh, we've been sent to be, sorry, Jesus was sent to us, set us free, not to condemn us. And it's this whole being born again thing of water and the spirit, fundamental foundation of our doctrine to be understood you know, and, uh, and, and this is where we teach others and pass on this understanding. And uh, when we do that, it is ingrained more and more in us about being born again of water and the Spirit. And uh, he, Jesus scolds Nicodemus as well in verse 10. It says, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? It says, uh, or could have said, like, are you a teacher? You know, someone who is a ruler of the Jews that people look toward, uh, that's supposed to know the things of the Old Testament. You should understand this. You know, and we should understand this as well. We are these teachers of uh, the kingdom of God, the spiritual Israel. We must understand these things and how it applies today and what Jesus means when he says we must be born again. Mark chapter 16. So what I've done here is uh, started out uh, in Matthew with um, John the Baptist where Jesus Christ was baptised. Uh, Jesus Christ uh, explained that he came to fulfil the law and uh, while during his ministry he, uh, he's, he uh, clearly articulated that you must be born again and then uh, he's preaching about the kingdom of God and we get to Mark chapter 16. This is uh, the end of of his ministry, this is after he was raised from the dead, after God raised him from the dead. And he says this, he says this to his followers uh, for the future. This is what we need to understand and know. Mark chapter 16 and verse 14. Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, excuse me, to every t- creature. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned or condemned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Signs following. This is what Jesus is saying after he was risen from the dead. You also go and preach the gospel to every creature and signs will follow. And it says there in verse 20 that uh, as his followers did this, as the word spread, the Lord confirmed his word with signs following. It's wonderful. We have a confirmation. We have an understanding that there are signs that follow those who believe. And uh, those that uh, believe are Repent, get baptised and receive the Holy Spirit. There are signs that follow, miraculous signs, and it lists miraculous signs. And, um, and I've been thinking about a couple of elements about this. I mean, the first element is they shall cast out devils. I mean, who here has seen someone possessed with the devil? No? And I haven't. I've heard weird stories. There's, there's uh, yeah, Oh, yes, of course. Yes, you two have. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, um, so I've heard... Stories, uh, and uh, before I came to the Lord, I'd heard bizarre stories as well. And when you read uh, in uh, the Gospels, there are weird stories there, like uh, of what people did when they were possessed and what happened when uh, the devil left them. Uh, In Acts, there's a funny story of a young girl as well. These are things that uh, don't make sense, 
But hey, there's a, uh, a comfort here that if ever we're confronted with this situation, which is weird, you know, that uh, those devils, whatever it is, whatever form, can be cast out. Okay? There's a comfort there. And these items provide comfort. Um, and though they shall speak with tongues. We speak in tongues. You know, there's that understanding that, hey, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues. Take up serpents. We've heard testimony of that. You're um, gardening, get bitten by a venomous spider. You're walking through the scrub, you get bitten by a snake. So what it's doing, these things, it's providing comfort. These are things that people feared, okay? Uh, and if you drink any deadly thing, that's another thing I've been thinking about. Like today, uh, Nowadays, people are so afraid of germs, right? And we... Um, we leave cups of things lying around or whatever. And I, if, there was a time once when people were persecuted quite harshly. We can read that in uh, Revelation and we can look at the history books where if someone left a cup lying around, someone might dab something in there because, oh, they're spirit people, feel people, we don't want them around. And so there's this, <clears throat> like the Lord's trying to comfort us, we're not to have this fear. Okay, we're careful. We don't put the Lord to the test, you know, um, and it won't hurt. If, if we act, do things accidentally and there's some deadly thing put in our drink, it won't hurt us. Uh, we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. There's hope there. There's miracles in people's lives. We can see miracles. We don't need to be afraid, have be um, uh, afraid of, like, sicknesses and things. We can look to the Lord for comfort. These are wonderful things that provide comfort to God's followers. You know, signs that follow, that God is with us. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and uh, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were baptised with the Holy Ghost and fire. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven, now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded or confused because that every man heard them speak with his own language. And they were all amazed and marvelled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea, and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, and the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues and wonderful works of God. And they're all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine, or they're drunk. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. And uh, Peter goes on, full of the Holy Ghost, and explains it. But of course I read on there to make a point that when we speak in tongues, we don't speak to people. We don't preach to people because they were confused. It says, what's going on here? They're in doubt. What means this? So much so they were mocking, thinking they were drunk. You know, they're like jabbering um, uh, aimlessly or, or um, meaninglessly. And uh, it's the point of tongues is not to talk to people. It's a spiritual language. And, uh, and then Peter, Peter explains more through there and down to verse 32. Acts chapter 2 and verse 32 says, Therefore, being on the right hand of God exalted, we read that in Mark, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. So this Holy Ghost that dwells in us is a promise. 
He hath shed for this, which you now see and hear. See signs that follow those who believe. Something you can see and hear, something tangible. For, um, down to verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in the heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptised, and the same day there were added unto him unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Signs will follow those who believe. The word will be confirmed. Okay, we don't need to fear and worry. Will God back us up? No, it happens. And it's interesting there in verse 43 that fear came upon every soul. It's like, wow, it's real. God now dwells in us. Let us follow his ways. And um, as was brought out uh, last Sunday at camp, you know, many groups only rarely break bread and... um, uh, undertake the communion service, but we do it every week, you know, and, uh, and it says here in those first few days or weeks that, uh, that they continued steadfastly in breaking of bread and in prayers, remembering what uh, Jesus Christ did. Let us not forget it. Let us not forget what Jesus Christ did, and, but to remember. And, uh, and it's just wonderful insight that uh, Peter has here to be able to bring all the scriptures to together and explain what's actually been seen and remembering also what Jesus taught him uh, while Jesus was walking on the earth, that, uh, that indeed to be bapt- repent, be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then uh, that'll be confirmed with signs following as you go about uh, preaching uh, the gospel, exhorting one another and so forth. Over to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And to introduce, we'll start in verse 1. Acts chapter 10 and verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. In some uh, circles, this bloke's been saved. This bloke is right with the Lord. I mean, he um, and his house as well. You know, he's giving alms, he's contributing to, uh, to, to God and he's praying to God. He's devout uh, with his house. He fears God, trying as best he can to follow the ways of God and... Uh, and today we hear many people proclaim that if you do this, you're right. You're right with God. But we understand this story. We read it a lot and there's a reason we read it a lot because it's important. So we'll go to something uh, phenomenal happens, a, a wonderful um, experience that happens with Peter where uh, God's trying to teach him about uh, the ways of the kingdom of God. And we get down to uh, verse 21. After these uh, visions, as it says, verse 21, Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that fears God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them, and on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. 
So there were other spirit-filled people that went with Peter. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. You can imagine, can't you? Cornelius, as it says earlier, he, he had an amazing dream. You know, that, uh, that it's like God saying, look, it's wonderful what you're doing, but there's more that you need to do. And, uh, and so he sent people off to get Peter. And in the meantime, because they didn't have fast cars back then, only little slow ones, and um, he'd gone around and collected all his friends and mates together and probably filled the house with people, you know, just like, come on, come home. You know, there's one, something wonderful you're going to hear. Um, and near friends, verse 25. And as Peter was coming in, and you can imagine this is in front of everyone else, right? Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Okay? And what does Peter do? Peter says, sorry, Peter says in verse 26, but Peter took him up and saying, stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Not to distinguish, verse 34, a bit of a dialogue there. And down in verse 34 it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Now God appointed, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, for they slew and hanged, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but under witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him, gave, to him give all the prophets witness, and through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins." While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, those that accompanied Peter from Joppa, which believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptised? which were received, have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptised in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So they asked him to stay certain days, to exhort them and encourage them, to break bread with them, to pray with them, and, sh- and uh, sh- see um, or um, show that it's confirmed with signs following. And uh, it's wonderful how Peter here just explains uh, the point why did Jesus have to come? Why did he have to die? What was the high point of that? And while he's explaining this and expounding it and testifying of, uh, of Jesus Christ and he even started uh, explaining about the baptism of John, they received the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues before them as a witness, something they could see and hear, something tangible. And it's like, right, hands off everyone. These must be baptised because they received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And I will go on, uh, verse 1, sorry, chapter 11, verse 1. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, 
They that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, He went back to the start and explained the whole thing, bit by bit by bit by bit. And I'd imagine it would have been a lot longer than these half a dozen verses that follow. But you can also imagine as he's there, um, the apostles and brethren, he's talking to the apostles and other brethren in Judea. And a lot of those people would have received the Holy Spirit and baptised on the day of Pentecost. And you can imagine as he's going through bit by bit, you think, oh, the penny's starting to drop. Oh, yeah, right, okay, I get it. Oh, my goodness. It's like this thing was noised abroad. They found out before Peter even got to Judea. It was a remarkable thing that happened. And you can just imagine the penny slowly dropping as Peter goes through the whole thing. Over to verse 12, Acts chapter 11, verse 12. This is the wonderful power of the testimony of the Holy Ghost. Verse 12. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. There were witnesses. And we entered into the man's house. And there's a gasp. (gasps) You entered into his house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptised with water, but you shall be baptised with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I should withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. They held their peace and glorified God, gave him the glory. Wow! This kingdom of God thing has no bounds. It's around the world. It's no longer uh, restricted for uh, a people that are called Israel. It's open to everyone. Wow. Limitless potential. And uh, um, what I was thinking as I was reading that, a wonderful uh, proverb that I've repeated many times is, commit your works and your thoughts will be established. And that's what Peter did here. Can you imagine he's just really confused? He's like seeing this weird vision and he's like, oh, okay, I'll just go with it, you know. And, uh, uh, but like he committed his works and then even with Peter himself, his thoughts were established. It's like, oh, wow, God's chosen these people also. He's filled these people also with the Holy Spirit. His thoughts were established because even though he was confused and hesitant at, at the start, He committed his works because that's what God wanted him to do. And then later his thoughts were established. And he was that confident when he went and stood before the apostles and the brethren in Judea that he could just go through the whole course of events saying, this is the way it is. His thoughts were established. Okay, Because first he committed his works. And that's an important thing for us to remember. Um, Penultimate scripture, Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, and we'll start in verse 24. Acts chapter 18 and verse 24. It's an interesting little passage here. Um, Acts chapter 18 and verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria. I'm assuming that's the Alexandria in northern, northern Egypt that was famous for its library and understanding and teaching, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. So this bloke could read, he was eloquent, I guess he was charismatic, and he had an understanding of the Old Testament, the scriptures. And he came, went on a trip and came to a place called Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently 
the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, preaching about the baptism of John, uh, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them, took him aside and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly, explained about the New Testament uh, doctrine. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. They sent him with a letter. Who, when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So you can imagine again, day of Pentecost, all these people, 3,000 odd people, uh, received the Holy Spirit, were baptised, and they believed through grace. Many of them may not have even been able to read. All they used to do was listen to the scribes and Pharisees tell them what the Bible told them. Tell them what the Bible, <laughs> you know what I mean. And, uh, and so they were saved by grace, like being filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues, they see miracles when they pray to the living God and, uh, and just the peace within. And they're saved, they, they had believed through grace. And then comes this bloke who's eloquent and understanding. He's a, he reads the scriptures and uh, he's pulled aside and told about um, receiving the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And he uses knowledge then. He uses a knowledge to uh, encourage these people and help these people who had believed through grace. And that's important as well. So people here have had some amazing infillings of the Holy Spirit. Some amazing uh, revelations, uh, feelings and so forth. But then as time goes on, we need an understanding and a knowledge of the scriptures. You know, we're all saved by grace, but there's a time when we need to understand and read and uh, be able to explain to others in a way that God wants us to explain. And so Apollos played a very important part in the early church in this way. He had that letter carrying around for him to be accepted into these places to show from the scriptures. See, it's interesting. He knew from the scriptures about the baptism of John, but somehow he'd missed from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. But because of his understanding of the scriptures, he could show them, hey, look, Jesus is the Christ, you know, and follow him. A rounded understanding. And then we get into chapter 19 and verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and certain disciples. And he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptised? And they said unto him, Unto John's baptism. I don't know for sure, but perhaps these people in Ephesus were taught by Apollos himself before he knew the complete truth. Then said Paul, John verily baptised with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people, they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. Uh, yes, stop there. And all the men were about 12. So small group of people that didn't know the full doctrine. But then Paul came along, explained it. They received the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. And then they understood. And it's just wonderful, these three examples of uh, where people receive the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues. It's clearly articulated in the, the book of Acts. Of course, that first time that it happened, uh, in Acts chapter 2, was very important. The second time is Acts chapter 10. That was very important too because it showed that it was open to all people, not just ethnic Israel Israelites, but to uh, all people on the earth. And then the third case as well is like uh, baptism needs to be with the understanding that you will receive the Holy Spirit. You can be baptised uh, without the understanding of the Holy Spirit, as these people in Acts chapter 19 were. And so in the Revival Fellowship, we ask if someone says that they've been baptised, if they were baptised by someone who was already spirit-filled and there was some understanding of the expectation of receiving the Holy Spirit. 
And that's important, a very important thing uh, for us to understand as part of our doctrine. Okay, finish up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A couple of verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 16. So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 16. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which have fallen asleep in Christ are perished. That's like the end. Verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Okay? We understand the doctrine, the importance of rep- repentance, baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit. There are signs that follow, the word confirmed as we go about and preach the gospel. But this is what we look forward to this wonderful promise and understanding that Jesus has risen from the dead. And he, it says here, Christ is the first fruits, he's the first. For that to happen. So if he's the first, there are others that come later. And we are a part of that others that come later, that resurrection of the dead. And when, when does it say it's happening? It says at the end of verse 23, afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. Right? So when God's chosen people die in the flesh, you know, they are asleep, at Christ's coming, will be raised up to meet him in the air. And we'll dwell with him forever and ever. And that's what we look forward to. And that's why we understand our doctrine. That's why we know it. And there's an intellect there to be able to explain it. Because we have this wonderful hope of being raised up to meet the Lord in the air. And we then can explain it to others. Okay, thank you.